as I was thinking about oaths, one of the things I was thinking about was what kind of role do they play in our culture? How do we see these kind of things still displaying themselves today? Well, if you were watching the news this week, we would have heard the, the oath, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God, said by a chap in America as he gives testimony. And by saying that, the, the, the rationale is that by taking this oath, he commits himself to tell the truth. And should he not be doing so, he risks imprisonment. I was thinking about how I've heard things like oaths and promises in my life, and especially in my childhood, we would use some fantastic ones when I was a kid. For some reason, the, the, the really common one was, I swear on my grand's grave this is true. Lots of people would say that, and, and as they said that, the meaning behind that was that what I'm saying is absolutely true, and, and here is how I'm proving that to be the case, by making this statement. Or you would hear things such as, I swear on my cat's life. I guess it depends whether you like your cat or not, whether you're saying what's true on that one. And of course, the biggie that is still used so often today, but used in quite a flippant way, I swear to God, that this is true. So oaths and using that kind of sentence structure is still as much prominent today as what it was in Jesus' day. And we, we could wonder, well, why does Jesus even feel the need to address how people are using things such as oaths? Why has he made this part of one of the most central teachings that we have in all of Scripture, which is the Sermon on the mound, what's going on there? And we could also ask the question, if it's our desire to become more Christ-centered, how do we hear what Jesus is saying in verses such as these and apply it to our lives in ways in which we are continuing that journey towards making Christ the true center of our life, our priorities, our values, and our focus? So I want to first just have a look at a little bit of the background of what's going on in our verses this morning. Because one of the things we might not realize as we read this is there has actually been a long debate going on in the culture of, the, of Israel at the time about, well, just what kind of oath is binding and, and what kind of oath isn't binding? So what kind of oath is it kind of all right to break? So the, the general consensus was that if you swore by, for instance, your cat and you broke that, well, yeah, that's not ideal, that's not great, but it's not the end of the world. But if you swore by something of God, well, that, that, that oath was binding and you couldn't and shouldn't break that. And that was the general consensus that they had at the time as Jesus was teaching and living in the midst of them. But Jesus doesn't take that view at all and, and says to them, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot even make a hair white or black. Jesus' view is all these things that we might be able to swear by, actually belong to God. And therefore, if you make an oath, 
God is part of that statement. So he takes quite a strict view on what an oath is and is also encouraging people not to have to take them. That that shouldn't be what they do as they promise that they will do something. What makes an oath binding? Well, Jesus is arguing against oaths. He's arguing that people shouldn't take them. That view that they have, if it's earthly, it can be broken. But if it's God's, then it can't. Jesus draws God into everything, pointing out this is God's world. We can't disconnect God from things. His view then is there was no unbinding oath. But instead, he's saying, you shouldn't need them. Don't use them. That is his ultimate encouragement to people. His thing is quite simple. Let your yes be yes. One of the interesting things is, is Jesus completely ruling out any form of oath? Well, there are lots of historical Christian perspectives and views that, uh, yes, he is. And you will see some Christians that will refuse to take any form of oath even if it's in court. There's also the complexity that Paul uses the language of oaths in his epistles. So quite what Jesus is teaching, one of the things that is crystal clear is what he wants from his disciples, from his followers, is a level of integrity that someone's yes is yes, and their no is no. They shouldn't require any form of concoction in our sentences to try and make people believe that we will do what it is that we say that we should do. Jesus is saying, no, I want a level of integrity from my followers. When you say something, people know it's authentic. People know if it's something you've committed to that you will follow through on it. That is the key and most important thing that Jesus is trying to get across to the people as they listen to him. He's wanting people to have a walk of integrity. As I watch all the stuff that's unfolded in this last week, one of the things that really strikes me is people have a hunger for integrity. When people say something, they mean it. When they say they're going to do something, they follow through on it. People want that kind of authenticity. We want it, of course, from our politicians, but I think we also want it from our friends and from our families, that basis in which we can trust what others say. And I see lots of frustration around because people see and feel that certain things are lacking those kinds of integrities. In fact, there are arguments that one of the reasons that Britain seems to be becoming an anti-establishment voting nation is for precisely this reason. People are just sick and tired of there being that lack of integrity. What Jesus is asking for from his followers, from Christians, from us, is that we have that walk of integrity. That what we say is what we mean. And that what we say 
is what we'll do. That brings trust. It brings reliability. It brings authenticity. It means that people know by the words that we use that we mean them. And we might think it's actually not that big a deal. But it is. And I think we see that a little bit now in our culture. And we can see that in small ways, such as in relationships and in marriage. If we say we're going to do something and we don't do it, then often we're going to hear about it. Somebody's going to say, you said you you were going to do that. Why have you not done it? And then it's up to us to think of a justifiable answer for having not done the thing that we said we were going to do. Jesus desires from us as we center our lives around him that we display the same kind of integrity and authenticity that he did. He was one that said what he was going to do and he followed through on it, no matter what. He was reliable and he was trustworthy. And what Jesus is teaching here isn't about catching people in something, so tricking somebody into making an oath and then holding them to it, or us getting stuck and caught up in something that we didn't really want to do but said that we would. It's about a level of authenticity. It's about us being able to say what it is we mean. Words that are authentic to us and not words that are double-minded or manipulative or structured in such a way to try and get us out of things. Our words should be authentic. Authentic to who we are, but also authentic to the one that we follow as well. Authentic to Jesus and what he wants of each and every one of us. This is God's world and Jesus points that out. And God is part of the fabric of it. And one of the things I think is really comforting as we think about words and oaths and promises and stuff like that is Jesus points out lots of things we don't actually have any significant control over. It's interesting he mentions um, the, the color of hair on our, on our head. I, I kind of smiled at that one because, well, we've found a way around that one now. You can get lots of things. You can have any color of hair that you want these days. So, so we've found a way around that one. We've even got things like just for men, for men if we don't like the gray. But the, the deeper point of it is still there. We don't actually have that much control over any of these things. Yes, we can change the color in our head by putting chemicals on it, but we can't change the color in our head just by thinking it. At least I've not mastered that. Because if I was trying to do anything with my head, it would be to stop the hair disappearing, but that doesn't seem to be happening either. It seems to be in a real hurry to do that. But you know one of the things we do actually have control over? Of all the things in this world, we have control over what comes out of our mouth. We're not like one of these puppets with a hand in an unmentionable place that controls the words that we say. There is no true circumstantial thing that can control the words that we say. We have control over what comes out of our mouth. And that is, I think, one of the reasons why Jesus is stressing, if you say it, do it. Because nobody made you say it. 
And I know in lots of situations, we can feel peer pressure, we can feel obligations, we can feel guilt, all these different things. And they do have an impact on us, but we choose what it is that we say. The words that come out of our mouths or the letters that appear on keyboards, these are free choices that we make. So there, there is a comfort in that because there is something we actually have control over. And Jesus is here kind of saying, you need to take responsibility for it then. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let your words be authentic to who you are, but let them also be representative to who I am. That's what he wants of his followers. Our words should be authentic to us and they should be authentic to Jesus. And ultimately, we are the ones that are responsible for them. And words are binding. And this is one of the things that really fascinates me. Over the last two weeks, I've had the privilege of doing two weddings. And the great joy for, for me was the, the first wedding I ever got to do was for Bethany and, and for her now husband, Richard. And one of the things that really fascinated me in the midst of doing this wedding was the importance of words. How vitally important they are. There was me saying words and then repeating those words, and they become vows and promises to one another. They become the foundation and the, 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 the new construct for the relationship going forward. I ask them questions, and they say, yes, thankfully. And this becomes a legal thing as well. They are bound together legally and far more importantly, they are bound together under God as well. But all of that comes together through the power of words. Through what comes out of our mouths. And we even have that question that we have to ask. Is there any reason why you shouldn't want, why you can't marry? There's a legal declaration. We ask the question, do you want to marry? Very important as well in the midst of a wedding. But in the midst of that, it's words. Words that are the expression of somebody's heart. And as they're expressed in the context of marriage, they bind two people together. Husband and wife for life. It's quite remarkable. And it was amazing to watch and to see the significance of that as people shared in those days with them. Promises towards one another and recognized in law as binding as well. And it was one of these really practical things that reminds us that words have power. And Jesus recognizes that as well. How we use them is so important. It obligates us to what we say. And we're accountable for our words as well. For the God that we follow assures us that he will ask an account for every word that we say. Words have power. So my encouragement to us then is, have you ever seen one of these oil paintings which just takes your breath away? whether it's a landscape or whatever it might be, you see all these expert strokes 
And if you go really close, it just looks like a bunch of brush strokes. You can't really see the expertise that somebody has used to draw all of that together. But see, when you take a step back, you see somebody who has made some substantial and amazing thing. They, they're an expert craftsman or woman with what they have painted. And it can take our breath away. I love oil paintings. I'm not a very arty person, but I think oil paintings are just amazing because when you take that step back and you see what it is that they've done and the control and the skill that they've displayed to create this thing, it's absolutely amazing. So what I would encourage us is to be experts with our words. To be experts with our words. We can use our words to obligate ourselves. We can use our words to encourage others. We can use our words to hurt people as well. The Bible has a lot to say about what comes out of our mouth. James, in chapter 1, verse 19, he tells us to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And I think those are really important words. This is something we have control over, something we are responsible for. And to glorify God and to, to really make him center of what comes out of our mouth, we need to make sure our words are authentic to us and our words are authentic to who Jesus is as well, to be an expert with them. Sometimes that requires that old skill of being able to count to 10. When somebody has done something and there is something that just desperately wants to come out of our mouth and we have to count and hope that that feeling reduces a little bit. Because we do get frustrated irritated, angry at times. We're still responsible for what comes out of our mouth. So be an expert with your words and use them in ways that bring the kind of integrity that Jesus is looking for from people. And this is a challenge. It's a challenge to do these kind of things, to have a good level of control over what comes out of our mouth. And it's recognized that Whilst I'm saying we actually have control over our, our mouths, the Bible actually says this is one of the most difficult things that we do. Again, if we go to James, I'm going to read the entirety of chapter 3 to us here. And he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also, sorry, the tongue also is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body, it corrupts the whole body and sets the cold course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. 
All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by my, mankind. But no human can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our, father, our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and, cur- and curtains and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. There James is writing right into the heart of some of this stuff that he's saying one of the evidences of somebody who has grown and is mature is this capability to have some sort of control over what comes out of our mouths. He recognizes that this isn't an easy thing to do, for whilst we can tame animals, we seem to struggle to tame what comes out of our mouths. We've domesticated wolves and the dogs and lots of other things. I'm still not quite sure what we're doing with cats like, but that's a different story. But what's coming out of our mouths, that can still be a real challenge, and he writes right into the heart of that. That with our tongue we praise God and then we curse human beings. That shouldn't be. What comes out of our mouth is ultimately under our control. But having a good level of control, well, that's what Jesus is really appealing for. That we are authentic. That what comes out of our mouth is not just authentic to who we are, because, of course, we are not perfect like Jesus. but Authentic to who he is as well. And Paul is saying that how we use our words indicates a level of, of maturity. It indicates that we're getting to grips with some of this stuff, that we're learning how to stop the frustrated statements coming out of our mouth. We're learning how to take, to stop the harmful stuff coming out of our mouth. We're learning how to not commit to things that we can't do. And you know, I think sometimes that capability to say no is one of the most important things that we can master. Because so often if somebody asks us to do something, we say, yeah, because we feel we should. It's important and we should do it. And if we say yes to enough things, we're stressed out of our head. We're burdened. We're, we feel obligated. We feel stressed. We feel frustrated. We feel drained. So we've committed ourselves to all these things and we're struggling to do it. That capability to say no is so important as well. But it's a challenge. It's a challenge to manage what comes out of our mouths. And to say that we're going to do the thing, and to do the thing, sorry, that we say that we will do. Because even if we have the best intentions to do something and we say we're going to do something, sometimes life gets in the way. Things happen. And we struggle to follow through. So I encourage us use our words carefully. Recognize the challenge that James sets down in a very honest way about how difficult it is to manage what comes out of our mouth. Commit to the things that you feel God is leading you to commit to and learn that art of saying no to the things that we'll struggle to do. Follow through on what you say you will do. But make our words authentic to ourselves and to Christ. Make them glorifying to him. 
good news is this is one of the things we do have a good control over. The challenge of it is actually establishing that control. Let's use our words carefully and be like one of those expert painters who can do those beautiful brush strokes that can create such an amazing canvas. And let's be authentic. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. We shouldn't need oaths to make others think that we are serious or legitimate in what we say. And let's make our words fall in line with Christ's words and our lifestyle fall in line with his. As we seek to make Christ increasingly the center of our lives, part of that is much like he did, taking control of what comes out of our mouths and honoring God by it as well. Let's pray together. Father, you know your Bible, your word tells us that even before a word is on our tongue, you know it all together. You know our hearts and our minds even better than we do, Father. You know the stresses and strains that we take upon ourselves, the challenges that we face, the frustrations that we feel and that we experience day by day. Help us, Father, to use our mouths like an artist uses a brush. To do so in ways, Father, that don't burden us with extra obligations that we shouldn't have taken on. To do so in ways, Father, that are honoring and glorifying to you. Father, it is a challenge for our yes to be yes and our no to be no in the midst of the busyness and strains and unpredictability of life. Give us wisdom with these things, Father. And help us to control what comes out of our mouths increasingly day by day. Help us to be quick to listen, Father, and slow to speak. Forgive us, Father, when we get these things wrong. And help us to rejoice in you, Father, when we get these things right. To not just recognize, Father, where we see our failing, but to celebrate where we see your power at work in us and the victories as well. Father, we ask that for each of us, you would use us as your servants to be salt and light, to be an encouragement to one another, and to be a blessing, Father, to the places that we live our lives in. Use us, Father, we ask, to further your kingdom in Ellen, to further your kingdom in the surrounding towns. Help us to be like Jesus, to have his kind of wisdom and insight, and to have his kind of faithfulness towards you. Father, we thank you that you are the God that you are the God that forgives our sins. You are the God that embraces us. You beckon us and call us, even cry out to us, Father, to enter into an ever deeper relationship with you. We thank you for that, Father. 
We recognize that you're doing a lot of different work in each of our hearts, our minds, and our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you are that faithful God that continues a good work in each of us. Father, we ask your blessing upon us, that you'd help us to fix our eyes and our hope and our hearts on you. We ask your blessing upon our brothers and sisters not here with us this morning as well, Father. We ask for healing where it's required, knowing that you are the God that can do all things. We ask for strength where it's required, hope where it's required, your provision where it's needed. Father, may each of us see your fingerprint, your hand at work in our lives and be able to celebrate that. Father, help us. Equip us. Anoint us to be all that it is that you want us to be in the world, in the nation, in the towns that we live in. To overcome evil with good. To be peacemakers. To be people that bring glory to your name by our good deeds and they recognize your hand behind them. Father, bless us, we ask, and give us an abundance of your Holy Spirit in each of our hearts and lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to...